I recently got an email response from one of my friends with a very short sentence in it. It said, is this really your dad's name? Specifically, is this really your dad's middle name? Now, I say this because my dad was born without a middle name. And actually, the name Belden itself is totally made up. I'm the first Belden who was born, from what I know. See, my dad was in advertising and publishing in the 1950s in New York City. And yes, even New York City in the 1950s and 1960s was a place in which anti-Semitism in those industries was rampant. And so he felt that the name with which he was born, which was Belshinsky, was a liability to him. And so he became Sanford Belden. And he thought, well, if I'm changing this one part of my name, perhaps even part of my identity, let's add in that thing in the middle there that I never had before. But he didn't give give himself a name. It was just T, Sanford T, period, Belden. And it used to be a uh, a game uh, when we were growing up. What names could we make up for what that T stood for? Uh, There was the week after we went to the Boston Aquarium and I was totally besotted with sharks that he became Sanford Tiger Shark Belden to me. There were the times when I thought he was acting like a tyrant, so I actually wouldn't call him Sanford Tyrant Belden. I would call him like Sanford the Belden, you know, like very royal, like the great. He had total rule and power over me. He was not a tyrannical guy. But I got to tell you, um, the truth is that what it really stood for, what it's come to stand for after all these years, and this is what my friend was reacting to, is this. Sanford Tension Belden. This is how he is listed in my address book. <laughs> Sanford Tension Belden. My wife, who knows him well, knows why. <laughs> I love my dad. He has given me, in addition to life, many other wonderful things of his inheritance. And like all parents, he has offered me also a totally mixed blessing, right? And so one of the things, my dad, and God bless him, he's 83 and he's in good health. He has never really learned how to handle stress and tension in a healthy way. And this is one of the things he handed off to me. It's taken me years to learn how to handle stress and tension in a healthy way. And I guess, well, you'll hear in the rest of this message today and you can make up your own mind to see if I'm making any sense about how to handle stress and tension in a healthy way. That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the difference between experiencing tension as something that is only a source of stress, closes us down, overwhelms us, isolates us from each other, and embracing tension in a way that actually, paradoxically, might bring us greater peace. When we can embrace the tensions in our lives that just kind of baked into the cake of who we are, that we're born with a certain amount of tension between competing values if we care about things, if we care about ourselves, if we care about other people, self, other, work, school, active, quiet, changing the world, changing ourselves. They go on and on and on. And all these things, none of them are bad things, right? They're all good stuff. And yet they show up in our lives sometimes as a source of stress. What's the right thing to do? What's the right thing for me to do? And here's the issue, though, is that too often I have seen, especially in kind of like popular spirituality, those images of how spirituality is supposed to be, if only we could ascend to that elevated plane, is that it's supposed to 
we're supposed to get to that place of balance. Ah, we're just totally balanced. We could go to like the, the shop that gives us the alignment special. And all of a sudden then we're balanced and everything is peaceful and we can handle all the storms of life. But, you know, that's like so freaking premature and actually so not helpful thinking somehow that there's just a simple equation that can get us to the place we can just balance all of these competing values in our lives, all of them so important. I mean, this is why we're offering that, that soul bite, working moms, you know? I see it particularly with women, I see it particularly with moms, but not exclusively, of all these different values, all these competing things that ask for our attention, our time, our energy, and sometimes we can feel besides ourselves in terms of like maybe we're failing all of them. But I don't think we are. Don't think we are, although the pressure in society might tell us that. And sometimes it's even pressure from spiritual teachers who we might admire a, a great deal, such as what I'm going to do right now. And oh, please forgive me. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, I got a bone to pick with you. I mean, we quote him every single week here at Wellsprings. He has taught so many of my own teachers, his work, his writings, his very beingness on this world in this world has absolutely changed, radically changed my own heart. And still, he's a human being like the rest of us, and he doesn't always get it right. And so one of the places where I think he gets it wrong is in his amazing book, life-changing book, The Miracle of Mindfulness. He tells this story about spending time with one of his fellow contemplative activists, someone working for peace and justice in the world, a guy named Alan And he's hanging out with Alan, and Alan's young son, Joey, is kind of wandering around and doing all that stuff that little kids do, kind of tugging on his sleeve and trying to get Alan's attention. And Alan feels like, you know, his attention is divided all over the place, and TikTok Han takes the opportunity to kind of say some really unhelpful things about how the ways that he thinks, you know, children were raised in Vietnam and how they're changed in the West, how they're raised in the West, and maybe it's not so good here. Not so helpful, but actually it gets even worse. Um, Because at one point, Alan says... I feel like I don't have any time for me. He says to his friend, Thich Nhat Hanh, I feel like I don't have any time for me. I feel like, you know, the time I spend with my son is my son's time. And the time I spend with my wife is my wife's time. And the time I spend at work is, is work's time. And, and there's like nothing left over for me. And then like the next time that Thich Nhat Hanh meets Alan, Alan has it all cleared up. Because Alan says what I've come to realize is that it's all my time. And so the time I spend with my son is my time, and the time I spend with my wife is my time, and the time I spend at work is work time, and it's all my time. And I don't doubt that that's true for Alan, or that it can be true for any of us. But it was just too easy. (laughs) There's something, there's something missing. Uh, it reminds me now, if you're representative of like maybe what like 930 was, maybe 15% of you who are South Park fans. Maybe a few more from the laughs and smiles I see. And what it reminds me of this story and what's missing are these people, the underpants gnomes from South Park back in the 90s. It's, it, it's actually, regardless of the fact that undergarments are mentioned, it's actually a very G-rated South Park thing, and there aren't many of those. Well, the underpants gnomes, what they do is they steal into little kids' bedrooms at night. They don't bother the kids at all. They just take their clean underpants out of the drawer, and then they have this business plan. Phase one, collect underpants. Phase two, question mark. Phase three, profit. So phase one is like Alan's really stressed about his kids. Phase three, I'm no longer stressed about my kids at all. 
What's the missing ingredient here, though? Because <laughs> I've actually I've, I've I've been around people who read that story and said, this doesn't help me. <laughs> Not helping Thich Nhat Hanh. <laughs> that some people may experience this as even shaming. If Alan could do it so easily, why can't I? And, you know, this is one of the easiest ways to make someone who is struggling feel even worse about themselves. Say, oh, this difficult thing, it's so easy. And it just makes us feel like, you know what, there must be something really screwed up with us. So it's not so much that I find this to be a less than helpful mindfulness teaching, because I think absolutely I've experienced in my own life the fruits of mindfulness are a greater ability to expand this limited, sometimes limited experience of the self as isolated and set apart. But I think what's missing in this story is that question mark in the middle. How first can we experience the mindfulness, the awareness with the stress and with the tension just as we are? And recognize what it feels like to have our hearts pulled in many different directions at once. It's like recently I read a study uh, from Northwestern University, reputable, great university, uh, that studied um, empathetic parents, empathy and parenting. And they found a whole bunch of really great things, like the children of highly empathetic parents feel that they're valued, feel that they're loved. Empathetic parents report higher levels of satisfaction in their parenting. And they found one other thing that wasn't so positive. Highly empathetic parents showed greater signs physically of chronic inflammation. And as you might know, chronic inflammation is linked to, I don't want to say causative of, but is linked to a whole host of other health problems. They found this in the lives of empathetic parents. And in classic internet style, the internet being what it does, which is robbing things of nuance or subtlety, this became the headline, as I saw in various places, basically, being a caring parent will kill you. Maybe some of you feel that already. I don't know. <laughs> and the lead researcher on this project at Northwestern said, they, they went back to her and interviewed her. And she said, no, no, no. That is not what the, the research says and certainly not what I'm trying to say. She said, no, the reminder here is that for those people, those parents, although I think it's, it's applicable beyond parents, for those people who, who care deeply for other people's lives, there needs to be at the same time of movement in that other direction, the complementary move of taking care of ourselves as well. To move in two or more directions simultaneously, that definitionally is tension, which in fact can be a wonderful thing. Because this, this right here, is tension. Right? What's keeping that tarp aloft and the rain off our heads in a day like today if we're camping, we would really, really appreciate it? It is tension. It is being pulled in more than one direction, being pulled in multiple directions at a time. It is applicable in our lives as well. My time, your time, our time, work time, family time, downtime, active time, sleeping time, awake time. 
All these times matter. All these times remind us that it's about the wholeness of our hearts of what our lives can contain that matters the most. And yet so many of us, myself included, feel these different forms of time pulling at us, having us feel that we're not somehow doing it right. I mean, we can hear the words of the great old sage uh, Rabbi Hillel 2,000 years ago, put it in this way, in this kind of spiritual riddle. If I am not for myself, then who will be for me? But if I am only for myself, who am I? All right, two good questions. Thank you, Rabbi Hillel. You're going to tell us the answer right in the next sentence. And then he continues with this crud. If not now, when? Thanks. But of course, that's the nature of koans or spiritual riddles is they don't give us the answers. They get us thinking about ourselves in deeper ways so that we're not searching for the perfect titration of time in our lives. We're not searching for something perfect. We're searching for a deeper perspective. Kind of like that great teacher, that amazing holy fool of the baseball diamond, Yogi Berra, said, if you come to a fork in the road... If you come to a fork in the road, take it. Thank you, Yogi, for making that clear. (laughs) But he's absolutely right. I mean, this is something I've come to realize in my bones. We're, We're plenty smart. Most of us are plenty smart enough. For most of us, the problem is not that we're not smart enough. It's that we outthink our lives. That we can remember this in the body. And this is one of the ways I've learned that Yogi Bear is absolutely right. Through a kind of yogi yoga, if you will. Um, I've got like really good open hips. Like I do a perfect pigeon. Like my yoga teachers have told me, your pigeon's really good. I am not so good at balance poses. (laughs) I get very, very wobbly. And so, you know, if I fall down, y'all will, y'all will pick me up right here. Thank you. I'll try not to fall forward off the stage. So, you know, in these balance poses, you know, oh, I feel that wobbliness and, and there's this pressure within me to want to just collapse in on myself like a dying star. <laughs> but in truth, the only way I can balance, feel the strength at the core is to shoot out through my fingertips, feel the tension there, through, shoot out through this right knee, shoot down through that left leg. And in fact, find there greater ease, the acceptance of tension can bring ease, can bring balance. The commitment to move in one direction deeply requires a complementary move in another direction just as deeply. The tension creates the balance. Only accepting the tension does that. As Catholic contemplative teacher Richard Rohr says, and I love this, everything, and that includes you and me, everything in this world is both attractive and non-attractive, light and darkness, passing and eternal, life and death at the same time. All of us. It's just a variation on the Taoist teaching. Yin-yang, right? Which one's supposed to win here? No. That's the wrong perspective. It's unhelpful perspective. You mourn being wrong. 
it's going to make life into a war. And the truth is many of us live life as if it was war, and then we wage war on others as well too. In this place of accepting the tensions at the heart of our lives, this dynamic tension, we in fact can become more flexible. We can find out what balance is and we can become more graceful and in caring for ourselves, which is what this entire message series is about. May we, may you be well. We can experience ways of being that open up way, open up peace and balance rather than closing it down. Not too long ago, I heard a great story from Sharon Salzberg, a wonderful uh, Buddhist teacher. Um, she was doing a uh, retreat in Ireland, and some of the students on the retreat were talking about how just a few months before they had been traveling in the United States, and it was the last day of their trip, and they, were, uh, they had a wonderful time, but they were really, really, really tired, and they really, really wanted to get home, and they got to O'Hare Airport. So I'm just kind of layering in the stress here, people. Any of you ever been to O'Hare Airport, right? Such a peaceful, beatific place, isn't it? Nothing stressful ever happens in O'Hare Airport. And it was like after midnight, and they missed the last flight of the day back to Ireland. And so they were stranded there, all of them together. And then, okay, another layer of stress. Far from home, not knowing when they're going to get home. Didn't have any guarantee that they would be able to get on the flights the next day. Busy time of the year. To add to that... The airport lost all of their luggage. Stranded far from home, their luggage lost. So they had to go down to that place in the bowels of the airport where the sun never shines, where the most miserable people are. The ninth circle of airport hell, the lost luggage department. And just put yourself in this situation for a moment. You can feel the stress, right? And then they walked in, bedraggled, tired, just wanting to get their luggage back. And one of the guys who was telling this story to Sharon Salzberg said they saw the woman behind the counter after midnight in O'Hare, whose job it was to take complaints all day long, who had probably been on for 12 hours. And they said she looked worse than we felt. (laughs) Stress, stress, tension, stress. And one of the guys in the group feeling his stress, feeling his tension, also noticed that the name badge that this bedraggled woman behind the counter, it read Irene. And so he had just, you know, the few things he actually owned in the world at that moment. His knapsack had a small ukulele in it. And they took out the ukulele and all of them started singing, Good night, Irene, to the bedraggled woman behind the luggage counter. And for what seemed probably the first time in, I don't know, days, weeks, or months, she smiled. And they were all there singing together. And yes, she personally guaranteed them at the end (laughs) that she would find their luggage. And she found space for them on a flight the next morning. They didn't do those things to be manipulative. They did those things out of a place of stress and tension and also recognizing that they wanted to experience some lightness. And their own lightness created that lightness for another person. This is the deep meaning of what self-care is. It is not a zero-sum game. So many of our lives are organized as if one person has to win and another person has to lose. And that zero-sum game leaves so many of us feeling so incredibly scarce about the values in our lives. 
There is no not at all, not at all, never will be. I can't imagine that there would be total defeating of stress or tension. That's the dream of Vader's and Voldemort's, right? (laughs) They can get rid of the darkness or they can get rid of the light or they can get rid of that one thing, that one place, that one people, and then somehow life will be all all right. But as the dream of Vader's and Voldemort's, I hope we don't want that for ourselves because we recognize that all division ultimately, no matter how much it's about the world out there as well, too, comes home to roost within our own hearts. And the antidote to all that stress and that tension is not to find the right way to divide the world the right way. And we did it with the kids, right? What is that blessing about? It's about embracing that big love that is at the center of all of our lives who we already are. And from that place of embracing, just like those Irish students did, we can make kind and wise choices. Maybe as we go through our lives, being kind and wise won't even have us making different choices than we would have made otherwise. But the internal experience is totally different. We make choices differently. We can take decisive, skillful action without turning the paths, the roads not taken into enemy paths, into warfare paths, into wrong paths, but simply saying, this is the path I'm taking right now. This is what we mean when we speak of, in our core values and core beliefs here at Wellsprings, of being a community that aspires to practice integrity. Integrity's opposite is fragmentariness. That says one must win out against the other. Integrity is not about perfection. Integrity is not about having a victory for all time over others or over ourselves for that matter. Integrity is not about flawlessness. Integrity is about wholeness. Not protect, not perfection. But perspective. A wider, more embracing perspective of our lives. Within ourselves. And also between ourselves. And I got a totally unexpected uh, experience of this this past week when I posted this photo that some of you know on Facebook as some of you were involved in this discussion with me. So this is the photo in which I out myself as a murderer of radishes. <laughs> See, last summer was the first season in which my wife and I were in our house and I grew tomatoes and I was just like gangbusters with the tomatoes. So I decided I want to set the bar a little higher this growing season. So this year actually grew things from seeds all the way up. And I remember thinking, you know, I know they need to be spaced out, but they're telling me scatter as much seed as you can across the row. And you'll need to do something called thinning. And I'm like, I don't know what thinning is. I'll read about it later on. And then I started to see the little green tops come up. And I read a little bit more about thinning was. Thinning is radish murder. You have to decide who wins and who dies. Who lives and who perishes. Oh, I get attached so easily. I don't want to do this. I've invested all this time, energy in growing these little guys up. But here's the thing. If you don't thin, no one's going to flourish. And so I had to go through spacing out inch to an inch and a half between and cutting off right at the stem. They say that what's in the ground then will die if you take off the greens. And so I posted this and said, I know thinning is necessary and it's part of being a good gardener. But I really I just I feel like a radish murderer. I feel really guilty. I don't feel good about this, you know, and 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 here's the really cool thing. All kinds of people stepped up and started commenting. Oh, I hate thinning as well, too. I avoid it. I don't want to do it. I don't like it. Now, this is a silly thing to a certain extent, but it's not. 
Because actually what happened there in this little act of kind of off-the-cuff picture-taking and picture-sharing was that I shared something I had a little bit of tension about. And it turns out a whole bunch of other people did too. This is what authentic self-care does. The people who make space for real, deep, true, consistent self-care in our lives, the opposite of selfish people, they are the least lonely people I know. Because they admit, we can admit, I don't know how to do this all the time. (laughs) I don't know how to do it right. I don't know how to make this square perfectly. But you know what? The more of us who tell that story create space for others to tell that story. And the more we listen to each other, the more healthy, the more whole we become, the more connected our lives are. If we just admit the tension that's right there at the heart of our hearts. And so in concluding this message today and about to conclude this message series on self-care next week, I I have an admission to make. I find the phrase self-care to be really weak, watered-down tea. I think people who truly care have compassion and love for the preciousness that we already are are actually learning what it's like to break through to the other side of the difficulty in our lives. Into that place of ease and embracing and expansiveness in which we have room to move and yes, even room to admit that we can murder radishes and still move on with the day. In which we can have room to breathe. In which we can simply have room to be in the midst of all of it. Amen. May you live in blessing, friends. Would you pray with me? Breathing in and breathing out. Work. Breathing in and breathing out rest. Breathing in and breathing out self. Breathing in and breathing out life. Breathing in and breathing out tending to one's own garden. Breathing in and breathing out tending to the garden of this earth. None of these wrong, all of these right, and still this maybe illusion that we can get it all right, that we can be totally, perfectly balanced in every moment. May we pray that we can let this illusion go. That, as I heard said once, God, this universe, this spirit does not want perfect people because such things, such creations don't exist. That the very heart of this universe wants whole people. People who are able to hold it all. And in the holding of it all, as imperfectly as we can, recognize the belovedness and the blessedness that we already are. Amen.